and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and hey, please go check us out on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. It's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram, we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And hey, uh, just to keep up even more, uh, please, uh, you know, subscribe wherever you're listening to this subscribe or follow to the podcast and if you feel so inclined please leave us a rating and a review that really helps all content creators when you do that and you know we being the content creators here uh, we would really appreciate that but definitely go check us out on social media so you can keep up to date with all the things we have coming up because we have a lot coming up we have the rest of the year planned out can you believe this i can't even believe that oh my god all right today we're gonna be joe and i being the we we are going to be talking about uh, Joe's next pick, and I was surprised by this pick. It's a pick from 1991. I was very surprised. It's The Rocketeer. I haven't seen The Rocketeer in like 30 years or something. 25 years. Insane. So I watch it. The actors I thought were in it aren't even the same people. That's how little I remember this movie. Anyways, you'll hear my thoughts here shortly. I want to get to Joe here pretty quickly we actually this is probably going to be a fairly short episode because we don't really uh, I don't think we're going to talk about this movie very long there it's surprising how little I have to say about this movie because I can talk a lot if you haven't learned this yet I I I have an uncanny ability to talk at all times if need be Uh, and uh, this movie kind of stumped me a little bit because you know well I'll talk more about that at the end but the point is this we have a lot coming up all right, we're going to talk about the the Rocketeer today, and uh, it's a fun conversation Joe and I have. You know, we go on a few tangents because, like I said, how much how much can you talk about the Rocketeer? I mean, without without getting into like film theory or something. I mean, I could really dig in, but I didn't want to. That's not really what that's not really what we want to do with the Rocketeer here at Medium Cool. Maybe one day I'll do some big analysis on it, but we were just having a regular Joe conversation about this. Anyways, so. Uh, yeah, so we talked about the Rocketeer, and then uh, this we have so much coming up, and we're gonna have some polls. Uh, th- I, I believe this week we're dropping a poll on social media about what my next pick's gonna be. We already have next week's show planned. It's not my pick. I'll talk about that at the end of the show. I might talk about it now. Who cares? My show. But anyways, uh, there's uh, there's gonna be a poll, and I gave I'm gonna give you guys three movies that you're gonna be able to choose between. Okay, and those movies are 13 Assassins from 2011, Calvary from 2014, and going all the way back to 1981, Michael Mann's Thief. These are your three choices. I can't choose. If I had to, I would, but I'm giving you guys the opportunity, uh, you know, to get involved. Help me pick one of my choices for my favorites pantheon, and to be honest, I haven't watched any of these three movies in years. I'm like super excited to dig back into them because like I've seen all of these movies multiple times, but it's just been several years ago since the last time, the most recent time I've seen them. So it'd be really fun to dig into them and see if I have any like, you know, more criticisms or if I actually like the movies more. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff to dig into, but, uh, but that, that'd be from a couple weeks out, but, but this week we're going to be doing the poll for, Two weeks from now. Now, uh, next week, 
is Jacques Demy's birthday. It's not. I don't believe it's actually on the day that we're that we're dropping the episode. But you know, uh, around that episode, Jacques Demy, the French New Wave kind of fringe director, uh, he is uh, going to be celebrating a birthday. Dude's dead. Uh, but I mean, you know, posthumous birthdays. That's that's what we do here on Medium Cool. So we're going to be celebrating Jacques Demy's birthday. And uh, we're going to be watching The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, okay? This is from 1964. It's a musical uh, that took place during the French New Wave years. And uh, Jacques Demy is kind of, I call him a fringe director in the French New Wave because he's kind of a minor figure. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't a Francois Truffaut or Jean-Luc Godard, okay? He wasn't uh, Agnes Varda or any of those folks. This dude was a little different. He was super influenced by Western cinema and and Western musicals, to be specific. But then, you know, whenever you were in the culture, the French culture in the 60s, and you were in that kind of cinematic climate of the French New Wave, it's bound to be something unique. And that is what The Umbrellas of Cherbourg is. I've actually never seen it. I've only seen a ton of clips from it, and I've read a lot about it, and I know a lot about it, you know, via researching Jacques Demy in the past. You know, French New Wave is a big uh, focus and interest of mine for a long time. Uh, but this is a movie I never got to. This is like a big blind spot for me. So I'm really excited for us to get into that. And uh, we'll be doing that next week. But make sure you hit us up on social media. Remember, Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Let us know which of the three in the poll you want us to talk about in two weeks from today. All right. That will be, again, 13 Assassins, the. Takashi Miike remake of that film from 2011. Calvary, starring Brennan Gleeson, fantastic movie. And then Michael Mann's Thief. Those are the choices. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and get into our Rocketeer conversation. The Rocketeer is an interesting movie. If you haven't seen it in a long time, I encourage you to go check it out. We don't actually spoil anything in this episode, um, but I do encourage you to go check out the movie regardless of, of what we say. Because it did, it was a movie that surprised me. It was not what I thought it was. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that with Joe here in a moment. All right, Joe, today we are here to talk about your next pick. And I hesitate in calling it from your favorites pantheon, but I'll get there in a moment. Sure. Um, but this is your pick this week, and you picked the 1991 Joe Johnston film, Rock, The Rocketeer. Yeah. And uh, this is, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of this film. So it was, mm-hmm. it was a very timely pick. I think it's a great pick uh, for mm-hmm. that alone. Um, but as I said, it was directed by Joe Johnston, who prior to that did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. But then after that did such classics as Jumanji, which I do love. Jurassic mm-hmm. Park 3, which is just a big franchise, and Captain America, the first Avenger, which kind of yeah. kicked off. Um, I mean, of course, Iron Man was before that, but it kind of, it really kind of kicks off there. The MCU's like on fire kind of a thing, right? Even though I hate that yeah. movie, but it's fine. So, uh, but he did other movies, though. I mean, he did a Dolgo, and there's, there are other ones. You can go check him out. But Joe Johnston is not a household name, but his movies, many of them are. And so yeah. uh, this is a pretty notable film as well. It stars... Uh, Billy Campbell, Jennifer Connelly, Alan Arkin, Timothy Dalton, 
Mr. James Bond himself, one of them for one movie, but it's fine. Paul Servino, who was the family boss in the Go- or in uh, Goodfellas, if you don't know that name. Terry O'Quinn, John Polito, which if you don't know John Polito's name, he's a regular with the Coen brothers. I love John Polito. I think he's great, and he is on fucking fire a year prior to this in Miller's Crossing, which is a Coen brothers movie. Go check that out. I love, love, love that movie. And the list goes on. I mean, there are a ton of people in this movie that were, a lot of them were no names then, but later became people you would recognize. And then there are other name or like faces you'd recognize, but they weren't major players in this movie. Either way, there's a lot going on here. This is a, this movie was uh, a Disney movie. Yeah. So you can watch this on Disney Plus like I did. Um, and uh, it, it was released June 21st, 1991. Again, 30th anniversary coming up here. Uh, this month, and then uh, the budget was thirty-five to forty million, somewhere in between there, and it made forty-six point seven million dollars back, barely not a flop, Joe. Yeah, and according mm-hmm. to expectations, probably a flop. But in terms of a flop being not making your money back at the very least, it mm-hmm. barely misses that. I think it probably still is considered a flop. Yeah, uh, the film is set in nineteen thirty-eight Los Angeles, and it follows a young pilot, Cliff Secord, as he stumbles across a top-secret rocket pack. And with the help of his mechanic mentor, Peavy, played expertly by Alan Arkin, by the way, he mm-hmm. uh, attempts to save his girlfriend, Jenny, from danger and stop the Nazis as the Rocketeer. Yeah. As you can see, uh, there's a lot going on here. Filmmaker Howard Hughes, someone plays Howard Hughes. Uh, well, not just someone. Terry O'Quinn plays... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Definitely not the, just someone. Yeah, yeah. The the, the famous uh, Howard Hughes, who was involved in everything, including some uh, major motion pictures in the uh, late mm-hmm. 20s and early 30s. And he's creating rocket packs in this for the U.S. government. And there are Nazi spies and 1938 film sets and a hitman built to be a Dick Tracy villain and the Italian yeah. mafia. Joe, there's so much in here. And did I mention yeah. Nazis? There's a lot. So uh, this is a bizarre film <laughs> that I probably haven't <laughs> seen between, you know, probably for 25, 30 years. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, never really been on my radar since. I haven't had much of a reason to until you mentioned it this week. Sure. And that said, I did not expect to like this film even close to as much as I did. Yeah. And actually, Joe, for the first time with one of your picks, I think uh-huh. I gave it a higher rating than you on Letterboxd. <laughs> For the first time, I believe, ever. But, Joe, yeah. that does lead me to something. And this is going to lead into uh, to, to you starting off here. Uh-huh. I did notice that you gave this a three and a half out of five on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking that, if I'm taking that rating seriously, this doesn't seem to fit your favorites pantheon, per se. Sure. So mm-hmm. why did you pick Joe Johnston's The Rocketeer? Yeah. Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is just the timeliness of it. Um, it's it's a movie that I like a lot. Um, it's a movie I saw in the theaters, of course, way back when, and and I really thought it was a good time. It's it's really earnest and just there's a, you know some goofiness to it. It's um, certainly is a, a bit of a I don't want to call it a precursor to the modern comic book movies because. The, the time it came out, Burton's Batman had just been out. So there's, you know, they, they but started. But it feels like the first Avenger. And not just because Joe Johnston yeah. did it. To me, it feels like a comic book movie like that, not Batman. So I'm, sure, I'm with yeah. you on that. I, I I definitely got that vibe. But go ahead. Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Um, 
it, you know, the, the most of the 90s superhero movies were kind of dark, you know, because of Batman um, and largely because Batman was the preeminent one at the time. But um, but there was a lot of those kind of dark and, you know, slightly more brooding um, superhero films at, at that point. So this one is a, a bit more earnest and a bit more swashbuckly and, you know, it, it hangs on, you know, being more traditional and, you know, you mentioned the Nazis and the, the mobsters and, you know, it's, it's very aw shucks as the lead character is very much a down on his luck. He's kind of a jerk to be honest to his girlfriend anyway. Yeah. Um, but you know, or especially early on, early on, he, that's he what I was a little bit and, you know, there's a little bit of, there's just some stuff here and there where I'm just like, man, this guy's kind of a dick, but, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, <laughs> he comes around a little bit. Um, he's, he's just a young guy, but, uh, but anyway, it's it's not. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a favorite so much as maybe one that I really enjoy that's kind of been lost to time just a little bit. Um, it's just not a it's not one people jump on and go, oh, the Rocketeer is really great. There it's, it seems like there's this kind of a small little subculture of people who are fans of it who might go, oh, I remember that movie or that movie is really good. But, you know, I haven't watched it for a long time. And I, I rewatched it. I don't know at the, the time the the rating I gave it on Letterbox would have been related to that. It was probably a, I want to say a year or two ago. I tried to show my kids and and they didn't really want to pay attention to it. But um, but I enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, I I enjoyed you know uh, a Billy who is now called Billy Campbell at the time he went by Bill Bill Campbell. I I later saw him in an episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was kind of fun. Um, and of course, Jennifer Connelly is in this, and Alan Arkin, and Timothy Dalton. It, it's just funny. There's a lot of kind of character actorish people yeah. who kind of fill out the cast. You know, and we mentioned Paul Servino and Terry O'Quinn, and um, just kind of a list of those people. Margot Martindale is one who's kind of gotten a little bit of um, run in the last several years. She won an Emmy, and um, she's you know a little bit younger, but playing an oddly similar role to what she plays now <laughs> in a lot of things. Uh, she's the 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 cook at a diner, I guess. And she's kind of a motherly type. She's great. Um, you know, 30 years back. <laughs> she's but, so um, great. Yeah. Yeah. She's just great and everything. And, and even just in the couple scenes here she's in, uh, but this movie's just fun. It's just a lot of fun. And it's a, it's a light and breezy kind of thing. Um, I, there's, there's a thing I'll talk about later on that I really kind of a, not, I wouldn't call it a twist, but kind of a, a shift in the narrative later on in the film that I just laugh out loud at every time. Uh, but it's uh it, it's just it's just a fun movie uh you know and it and it reintroduces jennifer connelly um to to american audiences to the world i guess but uh after labyrinth and and then she was in a couple of other films at this you know like this actually right around the time this she had one really bad one called career opportunities but um you know she was here and she's kind of looking as only she can and uh, and I, I really enjoyed her performance in this as well so um, yeah, so those basically are the, the several reasons why um, nostalgia and it's fun and um, just kind of a general good time for a film that a lot of people have just kind of forgotten about. Yeah, dude, I, I want to say this. You brought up uh, the you brought. Uh, let me find her name now because I'm going to feel bad if I don't say it. Um, uh, Margot Martindale, you brought her up. Uh, yeah. I'm going to bring up uh, just a person that could easily be overlooked. But for Office fans, Melora Hardin. Is uh, yeah. plays this night singer, this uh, or whatever this uh, this nightclub singer, and she's yeah. Jan in the Office. Okay, yes. Which is uh, I immediately saw that, and I couldn't stop thinking. If anybody's watched the Office all the way through, 
Okay. If you've ever seen like uh, the dinner or whatever it's called, I forget what it is, but there's like like uh, the dinner party is what it's yeah, called. Yeah, the dinner party. The Thank you. The, the, the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I just didn't finish that. But anyways, uh, Michael and Jan invite all these people over, and she starts singing this song, and I just think <laughs> it. Just, I couldn't stop laughing because she's great in this, even though she's only in yeah. it for a couple of minutes. Like I think she yeah. pulls that role off really well. She doesn't have any speaking lines. She's just singing as a nightclub singer, and they mm-hmm. shoot her a cup. Like they not literally shoot her because they're shooting in this movie. Uh, but yeah. the you know she gets some she gets some screen time, and that was pretty cool. Um, but I just wanted to say that outright. I want to go back to something that you said in, in kind of how you were introducing this, which was about how the Batman movies were dark, and there were other movies coming out like that that were kind of dark, and this one was a bit more felt a bit more lighthearted, and it does feel that way. But. I do want to say that this movie gets pretty fucking dark, dude. And there's, <laughs> there's some, a point there's where a character there's a point where a character says, "I'll blow so and so's brains all over the cabin." Yeah, that's pretty intense. <laughs> and like yeah. I said, you know, there are Nazis and mafiosos, and I, I mean, I'll just say this, dude. Watching the Rocketeer made me think about our MCU conversation, mm-hmm. and it made me think, like, man. It sucks to say I wish the like the Rocketeer is a better Captain America the First Avenger <laughs> because the same guy directed it. Um, yeah, but I don't know why it doesn't look like this movie because when you watch the First Avenger, it just looks to me so like yeah. phoned in CG. Everything's a fucking green screen, and I yeah. just hate the way it looks. Like I absolutely abhor the way that movie looks, and it like hurts my feelings to watch it. This movie looks awesome, dude. Yeah. Like so good. I just lo- it looks like nostalgia. So whatever yeah. that means, <laughs> whatever that means to you, hopefully yeah. it fits my interpretation of that. Because with the exception of the first jetpack sequence, which does look kind of terrible, but when you think of it as being 30 years old, you know, you can to an extent sure. give it a, a pass and it only is a few minutes long. Uh it looks kind of terrible. But the rest of it, though, most of it's just like like wire work and yeah. like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like it's not that there's not a whole lot of bad special effects is what I'm getting at. And mm-hmm. I think this movie outside of that, though, looks awesome. It looks like a movie that will be a nostalgic classic later, even though, like you said, this film has kind of seemingly been lost to mm-hmm. time. And it's a real shame because, as you mentioned, also, I mean... Margot Martindale's not in it much, uh, but when she is, I really love her. Uh, Billy Campbell is great as the O'Shucks, like, 1930s hero. Um, and, and But he he hits all those marks, right? He's an asshole half the time. He's, yeah. like, this, like, guy who's trying to redeem himself, and then he's kind of, like, a legit hero. Of course, I don't believe... Uh, so much the relationship between Billy, uh, or between Cliff and Ginny very much because he yeah. is a real asshole. Yeah, sure <laughs> like early on, like, girl, you need yeah. to totally get away, but that's fine. Uh, Connolly's great when she's in it. She does kind of... This is, ni- this is 1991. Uh, yeah. I think it's important for everybody to recognize historically that, you know, this is coming out of an era that is built for men. Um, now, of course, you have you have your uh, uh, Linda Hamiltons and your and your Sigourney Wheat. Like there are certain women who have cut through the the male dominated screen time, right? 
Um, and unless it's a romantic comedy or something, a lot of times women are like a specific type of drama. Women didn't get a whole lot of time in movies like this. And so I, I do think she's kind of this... How do, how do I even say this? A, a, a weaker character, to say the least, at yes. first. Um, very reliant on on uh, the, the, the co-starring men um, yeah. and kind of a starry-eyed uh, aspiring actress. But other, keeping all of that in mind, though, historically, I think Connolly does well. Alan yeah. Arkin is just the greatest. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? Okay. He's, He's just amazing. Yeah. the greatest. I love this character. This might be my favorite Alan Arkin character. That's hard to say, <laughs> though, because if I thought about it, it's probably not true. He's the greatest. He plays a wild mechanic in this movie. Um, And actually kind of the straight man to Billy Campbell's Cliff, who's the kind of wild man uh, adrenaline seeker, and Alan Arkin's the more level-headed guy. And then uh, Timothy Dalton, as I said, who was in uh, one James Bond movie, played James Bond, and that's probably what he's... Wait, who who was the guy that only did the one? Um... George Lazenby. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I had him backwards then. Sorry. Yeah, he did the Living Daylights and License to Kill. Yeah, yeah. Those, so, were, those were the adult. Ones. So I got him backwards because yeah. I was thinking he did the one at, in like 1970 or whatever it was. Yeah, but yeah. He did the ones in the 80s. My bad. Yeah. So Timothy Dalton did two. My apologies. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, not to mistake him with Lazenby, and sure. uh, Dalton's fantastic here. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to give oh, away yeah. kind of his secret, but I'll just yeah. say he has a secret. Uh, That's all I'll say. He, you can you can watch this. If not, he is not Errol Flynn. Yeah. Don't call him because he's absolutely not Errol Flynn. Yeah, I mean he definitely you know as an actor he plays he plays that Fairbanks type role right uh-huh. like that type of uh, I mean I know you said Errol Flynn and you have sure. like the the Douglas Fairbanks and just that whole type of of character uh, is the kind of character that he plays as Neville Sinclair. Um, I love Paul Sorvino. It's really funny because. Paul Sorvino, again, is a is a mobster a year later after mm-hmm. Goodfellas. But it's almost like the Robert De Niro thing where, like, yeah. you know, like, analyze this or something where, you know, he used to be, like, a legit gangster in all these movies. And then he's in, like, a comedy where he's, like, a, f- like a f- kind of comedic gangster. Uh, that's yeah. what Paul Sorvino is to me right here. <laughs> <laughs> like he made that jump within a year, but he was never meant to be like a, an Italian mafioso. He was like a serious yeah. actor uh, that yeah. didn't play any roles that were like hard like that till he did Goodfellas. So it's funny that he's back doing that. Man, I can't I can't talk about how great this is uh, in terms of like the casts and the characters. This so let's I want I'm gonna pass this off to you, dude, and and okay. t- tell me about. Tell me about uh, the cast and everything, how you felt about those performances, some of your favorites. But I want to start with this dude. I can't even remember his name. I'm even looking at the IMDb, and I can't because I I don't even remember them saying his name. But it's the Dick Tracy villain. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Who's this guy? Yeah. Frankenstein is what they called him. That's right. I mean, I think they've been – but there there was a scene where guys are pulling out guns and – you know, and, and the guy's like, relax, Frankenstein, you're not bulletproof. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And I don't know who he is. Yeah. But he's definitely, this is definitely like a Dick Tracy crossover villain. Dude. He's got the giant, like rubber looking, like his whole face looks rubbery. And it's, you know, he wears this big trench coat. He could, I mean, if he, if you just pull him out of this movie and put him into Dick Tracy, 
and he fits. You wouldn't even know the difference. He fucking rules this guy. Yes. I yes. love how ridiculous this guy is. And I, I can't even find listeners. I can't find him to tell you who it is because he has this whole prosthetic face on. So I can't tell you the actor and I don't know his name. I could probably Google it. That'd probably be the easiest way. So maybe I'll do that before the show's done. If Joe doesn't. His name is tiny. His name is Ronald Taylor. Tiny Ron is his nickname. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he, Oh, okay. He, he was in, he was in the Rocketeer and Ace Ventura Pet Detective and did television work in shows like Star Trek Team Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager. And I'm going to, now I'm cutting it off. And as Al, oh, he was Al, the very tall police detective uh, whose face is always in the above frame shot in, in Police Squad and the Naked Gun. So ah. you remember in the Naked Gun, you know, there's, there's a scene where, you know, he walks in, it's like, hey, Al. You got something on your face. And, you know, and he like, you see his hand go up. And he goes, no, no, other side. And then he goes to the other side and you see like this giant chunk of banana fall on the table. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. I can't, I still can't yeah. even find him on IMDb on here. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. This dude rules. Tell me about him, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just, I just Wikipedia him. I Googled him and it came up in Wikipedia. Yeah. So, so there's a few of his, his other credits in this movie. So he was a, he was a basketball player. It says, um, yeah, I mean, he went to USC. He was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics in 1969, but he never played uh, in the NBA. Um, he played in the ABA instead for the New York Nets and Washington Caps, uh, the Virginia Squires and the Pittsburgh Condors. So then he became an actor and did a couple of really notable roles, maybe here and maybe not so notable, but uh, he was in Roadhouse also. Wow. If this dude is as oh, yeah. giant as he looks in this movie... He has yeah, to be, he does not look like a thick fella, yeah. but he looks, he is a tall, menacing fella. And I got to yeah. say the prosthetic, though you can tell it's clearly fake, is yeah. fantastic. It's fa Yeah, it's, it's like, it's one of those where, yeah, it's, it's like Dick Tracy when you're watching it and you're like, that looks so incredibly fake, but it's awesome at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and here he's, he's a silent goon. Um, he <laughs> he just kind of shows up. There's there's a point where he no sells a kick to the groin. You know he's he's one of those types. Yeah. Which what does uh, that mean? What is it saying about this character? I want to analyze. Yeah. I want to overthink this. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think know, like can, he was like born and bred to be a mafioso hitman, and he yeah. was a eunuch. He's a eunuch. And That's he, what I want to yeah, think. So he feels no pain. And yeah, yeah. I don't even see him in the. Um, in the cast list at all i'm looking yeah oh tiny ron is the was his nickname so that's how he's that's how he's credited here i think that's uh, a very funny name to stick um, yeah his name is lothar that's his official that's his official. right that's right they do say his name now that you say it i i, I remember yeah yeah but, but yeah but anyway he yeah he shows up he he's in a few key sequences and there's i, I really love there's there's a scene where jennifer Connolly again I, and i don't know if we're going to save that certain secret you mentioned earlier. But um, Jennifer Connelly is, let's just say she's escaping from the bad guys. And, and yeah. she, she, you know, she pulls off, a, she pulls off the, um, the, uh, va the flower vase to the head and, and knocks out the guy. And she walks out 
and and this guy is just kind of casually sitting downstairs in the living room and he's eating something. <laughs> he's just got a plate of food and he's just kind of casually and and she, you know, of course bumps into something and makes a noise and he looks like uh-huh, and looks up and you know she hides. But it, it just it cracked me up. Uh, that's what I noticed this time watching it was that you know he's just kind of sitting there casually eating some food yeah. in his in his giant prosthetic nose. <laughs> Man, what a great guy. Yeah. I love this guy. Yeah. He's oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. like one of my favorite parts of this movie. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But how do you feel about... So I'm going to try to find... I, I can't even figure out how to find the person I thought was the Rocketeer in my mind. I'm yeah. going to try after I ask you this question. But how do you yeah. feel about uh, Billy Campbell yeah. as the Rocketeer? I, I thought he was I, fantastic. I really, yeah, I really liked him. Um, I You know, when, when this movie came out, they were... All, all about him, you know, and he was going to become a star and he was going to, and it didn't quite work out for him for whatever reason. He's had a long and distinguished TV career, but, um, you know, I, I just did a quick thing looking um, because I, you know, I didn't even really know. Um, and so, you know, I went through and he's done a lot of TV. He's done some, he's done a lot of movies too, but he's done a lot of TVs, nothing like super high profile, but um I think he was kind of poised to be a big star in the nineties and then something happened and, you know, he just never really got there. Maybe it was this movie not being a a massive runaway hit, but, um, but you know, he's, you know, his acting wasn't maybe what the acting maybe wasn't great in this movie, but it was, it certainly fit the tone of the movie. And, um, you know, I, I think he did a fine job and, you know, and I I would have loved to have seen him in other stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed him a lot and um, would have loved to even see if this had become a franchise to see a couple of movies, um, you know, out of this and, and let him be in the sequel and then, and then see where it went from there. But um, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed him a lot. Uh, and like I said, I, I kind of wish he had done more higher profile things later on. Yeah. I, I think he's great. I think the performance is so consistent from beginning to end that even if it's not great, it comes off as like, it's at least yeah. consistent, so it's like I don't know. I didn't. Yeah, even, I didn't yeah. even like think of it by the end because there mm-hmm. is that golly gee aspect to him, uh, mm-hmm. where he's yeah. just like this very, very innocent kind of caricature nineteen thirties person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and but yeah, I just actually really uh-huh. again, I, I don't find this film to be perfect by any means, but I had a really oh. great time with them. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, and then as I said before. Um, Alan Arkin's just the greatest. Do you have a favorite mm-hmm. Alan Arkin film? Um, I mean, I man, I love him in Little Miss Sunshine. Um, he was in um, he was in Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, wasn't he? Yeah, dude. Man, he is so good. Um, I got, I'm gonna find. I want to find him. Oh, I'm, I know why I can't find him. Dude, I'm in the actor page. He's in so much <laughs> shit. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, the, you know, I love those. Um, what is an Edward Scissorhands? He was in Argo. He was in Dumbo, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's just one of those guys when every time you see him in a movie, you just go, yes. He's the greatest. You're, you're, like, you're like, this is going to be fun, if nothing else. Uh, even if the rest of the movie sucks, he's going to be good in it. And, and I, yeah, and I love him here. He's, he's kind of, He's kind of the Rocketeer's Alfred. Yeah. You know, he's the the That's the a good point. Yeah. Mechanic. And you know, he's his he's his second 
the, he's the guy that helps him out, chases him down when he crashes in the field, uh, you, you know, runs him down. And is like, oh, you did this wrong, dummy. He makes the helmet, which the, the helmet was fun for the Rocketeer because they talk about the, um, the aerodynamics of it. And, and the helmet has like the rudder on it. And so they're like, don't, he's like, don't turn your head. That's why you keep crashing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like rudder keeps you going straight. Yeah, so you got, funny. you know, yeah. yeah. But um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of little touches like that that were really fun that, you know, that came out of Alan Arkin, but yeah, he's, he just knows how to hit the right note to be even in, you know, the, this movie's more serious scenes. There, there are times that he's just goofy as hell. Right. And, and early on, he's just goofy. And it's like the two of them, Cliff and, and PV is his name. They're just like a couple of goofs, right? They're almost like they're almost like if if Doc and Marty had never made a time machine and were just like continuing to try and failing spectacularly, <laughs> and then decided to become like aviators, aviators and become yeah. you know pilots. That's kind of what they are. They're kind of like a couple of you know like a couple of goofs, and and then suddenly you know PV of course is kind of like the the almost like a like a hidden genius who kind of he kind of touts himself as such but everybody's like ah that guy doesn't know what he's doing yeah. but he does he's super smart and um so he's he's really terrific playing that role and you know he's he's one of those guys no matter what he's gonna do you're gonna like him so dude this guy is the greatest first off i want to say this after Little Miss Sunshine, he kind of became typecast, I think, from everything I saw, at least, where he's kind of the grumpy old man, uh-huh. um, which is fine. He does that great. He also does it in The Kaminsky Method, which is a TV series you can find, I believe, on Netflix. Uh-huh. And uh, and he he's just better than he's... You know, he and Michael Douglas are super old, like old uh-huh. AF, these guys. <laughs> yeah. And uh-huh. uh, they're great. So I, w- I want to... Uh, the reason I asked you about your favorite film and not just about The Rocketeer, which I'm glad you went into... Um, but this dude, <clears throat> a lot of people I don't think understand the long kind of legacy that when Alan Arkin dies, he's going to leave. Um, he did a great film in 1967. Quick caveat before we get back to The Rocketeer. Yeah. It's called Wait Until Dark. It uh, also it's, it's a great thriller from 1967. It also stars Audrey Hepburn and uh, Richard Crenna. And uh, it basically takes place in Audrey Hepburn's home. Uh, her character, uh, her name's Susie. And she's blind. So the whole movie is kind of predicated. It could be a play. It might have been, for all I know. And, and uh, oh, it is based on a play. There you go, by uh, Frederick Knott. So it was a play. But it all takes place in this play, in this apartment. And uh, they're just, they play with sound. And them being quiet and moving around her because she can't see them. So the tension, a lot of times, is what we can see but she cannot see. Man, it is so good. Uh, Terrence Young directed that one. He's it's so great. So if you get a chance to see that, definitely. He's in Catch Twenty Two, which is uh, a uh, Mike Nichols movie. Who also did The Graduate. It's great. It yeah. came out around the same year as Mash. Uh, so they're both kind of these dark, kind of anti-war, dark comedy movies. It's really great. Uh, Alan Arkin is just the best. I'm I'm kind of moving through his to hit some of the big, uh, yeah. the big talking points here. Um, Edward Scissorhands, like you mentioned, he was in The Rocketeer, of course. Glengarry Glenn Ross might just be his crowning achievement. I mean, that is just the best. I yes. can't even believe it. If you've never seen Glengarry Glenn Ross, you need to go out of your way right now. Yeah, we uh, need to talk about that movie sometime. Well, that's, 
it's on my it's in I'll just say this it's on the list somewhere for me I'll we'll see, see when we get to it I don't know when right. that will be yet maybe it'll be the next time I'm not sure um, but yeah anyways you you kind of covered some of the more recent ones but this dude has been doing stuff since the 60s he's fantastic I just needed to kind of give we have never talked about Alan Arkin on here I don't think and he needed oh, yeah. some love because that guy is great another thing yeah. that I noticed was James Horner's music uh, he was like the music director here. Uh, this yeah. guy also did stuff for Titanic, Avatar, A Beautiful Mind. He did, um, God, I could go. I mean, there's too many on here to even name. You could just go look at his filmography. He did a random uh, indie film called The Chum Scrubber, which I've seen. Um, wow. Holy shit, The New World. I mean, dude, this guy has been everywhere. If you look yeah. at his filmography, it's all over the place. What do you think of the music here? That was actually a crown player to me. I thought it really stuck out. I'm curious yeah. if you liked it or not. Yeah, I thought it was good. There, there was a time where the the uh, the nightclub scene, where and, and it was funny because I I actually watched this in bits. I, I rewatched it, you know, last night and today, and I was watching it today, and I it turned it on right at the um, the nightclub scene where, you know, and, and it's a big action piece, you know, where, uh, you know, he's the you know uh, Cliff is trying to rescue Jenny and you know, he's trying to warn her that about something about danger you know and so he ends up in this club and and he you know it's it's sort of the Batman the big showy Batman scene from from you know from the eighty nine Batman where where he busts in on Kim Basinger and the Joker right during yeah. their dinner and um and so uh, but and the music there was this very like it was very light and and sweet and i was like this that's weird for an action scene to put that beat in but but the but the score itself was was pretty good i think and i, th I think it kind of hit the right tone i think maybe just in that one spot it, it sure. kind of hit me the wrong way but um but the yeah the rest of it it's it's really pretty solid and, and it's um you know if, if you're a big fan of of scores especially in the in the 90s that was a that was a huge thing in the 90s um and i think that this one's a pretty good one it, it, dude it's it, but it goes back to nostalgia I think's why yeah. I bring it up. It just sounds nostalgic. Now it might be kind of like a performative version of that, like not yeah. like a true version of that. And yeah. and the scene you're talking about, I took as being a more heroic approach. Yeah. But when yeah. I think of the scene now that you say that, I'm like, whenever you see that scene play out, though, yeah, maybe that wasn't the right tone. I'll, I'll give you that one because I, yeah. I interpreted that differently as watching it. But I get where you're coming from on that. Yeah. Uh, but man, I, I just watching, I'm like, they don't make scores like this anymore. And I don't necessarily even want them to like, that's not what I'm saying. It's just right. sometimes you go back and you watch a movie. Uh, I'm, I, you watch the sand lot or you watch. Um, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Name another movie from that time. Feel the dreams. Feel, or, yes. You're on like, my bus. Like a, oh, and, or another movie. That's not about baseball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but any of those speaking of baseball yeah the natural or or a league of their own no yeah. but anyways like it, but any, any of these movies though work like any of those types of movies there's usually it doesn't mean the score's just like this but there is yeah. like a feel to these movies you get what i mean yeah. and in the 90s there was just a way they incorporated music uh, that was just very different than i feel like we are today clearly but even very different than it was prior uh, right. it just, I think they were getting their, I think their feet were already wet and they were starting to kind of enter the waters, uh, of the blockbuster and find out what's going to work for this. Cause of course the eighties really kind of blossomed the blockbuster. Right. And then yeah. once you get into the nineties, it's like, all right, how can we take this further now? Like, how can we, we need to build this into like 
and enterprise now that we can make yeah. a shit ton of money on people who don't care about movies. Let's do that. Um, yeah. And and so you get like a lot of, uh, and I, I think this is normally I would say this in a bad way, but the movie's so ridiculous that I it works for me for some reason. Uh, but a lot of times scores at this time in this era were very manipulative. You know yeah. what I mean? They just held your hand and carried you through. This is what you're supposed to feel. You know, and I think that was a part of their trying to. Ah, this sounds so pretentious, and <laughs> but they were they were aiming. They were starting to aim for the lowest common denominator. And what I mean by that is, not it, I don't necessarily mean that derogatory, even though it's kind of inherently derogatory. But what right. I mean is, it was no longer about film lovers, right? And in the '80s, this happened too. But it was more about how can we reach the widest audience so we can bring the most money in. And that's yes. whenever you start really getting that what we consider now as blockbusters. A lot of it's directed toward, again, I know it's a derogatory term, but the lowest common denominator. The person that doesn't understand any... My mother, when she was alive, bless her soul, she was the worst movie watcher. I hated <laughs> watching movies. I started The Matrix yeah. with her in 1999, or maybe it's 2000. I think it was Christmas in 99. So we go into my room. They bought me a DVD player, and The Matrix was one of the movies I got. That and, and Big Daddy, the Adam yeah. Sandler masterpiece. <laughs> but anyways, I got The Matrix. So I like go in there, and mom, my mom's going to watch it with me. I got like 15 minutes in and shut it off, Joe, because she kept going, what's yeah. going on? Why is he doing that? No, wait, what does that mean? And she, it's like, fucking watch the thing, and you'll find <laughs> out. Why right. would I tell you that? It was so yeah. frustrating. Anyways, of uh -huh. course, I'd give anything to watch The Matrix with my mom right now. But the point is, she was the worst. She was the worst yeah. person to watch movies. So what what people are going for, studios and stuff, is how can we reach them? Like, how can we make this entertaining for film pe like film lovers like you and me, Joe? But then sure. how can we also reach the Austin's moms of the world? And right. uh, you, I, I can feel that in The Rocketeer. And I don't mean that as a bad thing, actually. I think this no. is one of those moments that kind of works for me where it's like, okay, I, now we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get to the, uh, in vague terms to the end. I'll talk about that later. But, um, but Joe Johnston kind of made his career on those movies. Like if you look at the movies that I, even the ones I mentioned earlier, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, you know, all of these movies kind of fit into that category as well. I didn't put that together till now. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, that score, though, is usually really manipulative, and I think it is here as well. It's very sure. present, and it's very, yeah. like, kind of big. But man, I just, there's something that feels no, so nostalgic about me. And that doesn't make the film better, but it made my enjoyment of the film uh, yes. more. Because, I, because being from that era, you know, living through that era, that kind of being my formative years era, yeah. um, that was... I don't know. It comes off really nostalgic uh, to me, and I just love it, Joe. I just love it. Okay. I, I want to talk about... Uh, I kind of just want to, just for the sake of time, I, we're not running out of time, but I want to make sure we have time for this, and I don't exactly know how to talk about this because I'm not really prepared to do spoilers. And normally for a 30th anniversary movie, I'd say uh, we can spoil the shit out of this, right? and let's just go for it. And I'm kind of debating this, Joe, because... Like you said, this I feel like there are so many people that have not seen this movie. 
I mean, it only made $47 million in 1991. Right. Like, they weren't watching it then. They were watching it then, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, I'd be surprised if a lot of people have actually seen yeah. this in comparison to a lot of other movies we've talked about. So I don't want to necessarily hold back on spoilers, but at the same time, there are a few that we might leave. For example, uh, like Sinclair's Secret, we may try yeah. to try try to evade, but I don't mind talking a bit more broadly about some of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a statement, then I want you to just respond to it. Sure. Right. I could do without the ending. And I'll tell you yeah. why. This uh-huh. this is this is this is my only criticism. Well, I have several criticism, but but I really like the movie. I yeah. found myself getting bored the last 20 minutes. There's a point yeah. where the mafioso leader played by yes. Paul Sorvino uh-huh. starts going on this patriotic <laughs> diatribe basically i might be a two-bit hood but i am an american (laughs) yeah it gets very patriotic and hey you know hey Uh, i'm i'm an american you're an american like i'm not dissing that someone would be proud to live here yeah granted i am more of a critic than others however this was a lot what's it like working for a nazi eddie huh he pay you in dollars or deutschmarks What's he talking about? Oh, come on, Eddie. I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. Yeah. Especially yeah. in an era where I don't think we needed it uh-huh. to be there. Like, I understand the 1938 point in the movie where yeah. we, you know, we're, we're starting to really see the Nazis start like to invade Europe and we haven't entered the war yet, but they are a threat. We're, we're aware of them, especially in 39 is where it gets like particularly bad, I believe. And so like, but there, you know, I, I get that, but it's 1991. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, I think desert storms even over by this point. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like we're not really fighting particular, yeah. like in particular, and especially Germans. So I don't really know. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for World War II movies. So mm-hmm. when I say this, please, nobody listening, mistake me for saying I have nostalgia for the swastika. That is not what I'm saying. Get the fuck out of here. Nazis are fucking assholes. My right. point, though, is the way that this is shot, that's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. With all yep. of the Nazi, like, the fucking Zeppelin and, like, with this huge propeller, not propeller, but, like, this huge thing that has this huge swastika on it and the way that yeah. that it's shot as like Billy Campbell's like running across it as this American hero there was yeah. something really cool about how all of this looked yeah. but man the end everything from the patriotic <laughs> part yeah pretty much to the very end was a big letdown for me not not oh. like ruin the movie but just kind of like I'm feeling myself getting bored now. I was really into the thing you were doing before, but now I feel yeah. like you feel like the third act really needs to be an action sequence or something. And it it's not even that cool of an action sequence. Am I alone yeah. on that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's basically yeah. So yeah, basically the the bad guys are escaping in a zeppelin, which I'm like, how did you get a giant ass zeppelin with a swastika on it? In Los Angeles, like, how did that? Where does that come from? Where that number one that people don't know about it in advance, and number two, couldn't you know just 
drive behind it and follow it yeah <laughs> because it's not moving that fast but anyway the, yeah the um yeah that that's the moment i was talking about earlier with though with paul sorvino um as as the mob boss where he's uh you know that, that cracks me up where where the bad guys are about you know the bad guys have the good guys over a barrel and and they're about to get away and and uh and then all of a sudden uh you know cliff says hey what do you think about the nazis funding your you know funding your yeah. uh your little adventure here and he's like what and he's like yeah yeah the nazis are doing it and he's like and then and he turns like is this true <laughs> and it turns into the same is like i might be a hood but i'm an american i'm all american and then it turns it and then kind of making it even even more more so is you know after you know that this is when all the the trouble starts right all this is the the the, the climax of the movie and then uh and then cliff is the rocketeer runs up these stairs it's almost awkward like the camera like almost it doesn't follow him but it it you see him go up and then it kind of pans over to the top of this building and there's just an american flag waving and he just jumps right in front of it really awkwardly and yeah. takes off <laughs> takes off from there yeah <laughs> just like boy this is like this is kind of like uh the first sam raimi spider-man where he's just awkwardly like jumping up on flagpoles and there's american flags everywhere and yeah you know there's the you know the the whole uh if you mess with one of us you mess with all of us you know yeah the post 9 11 kind of sentiment for sure there's a lot of that there and it it just it just cracked me up um to watch it and it, yeah the rest of the movie was not like that and then suddenly there's this bit of just abject patriotism tossed in at the end so um i, I don't know that i'd say i was disappointed i guess it it's yeah it, it could have been better maybe um but the <laughs> dude there, there's a lot of just wanton murder in the last five minutes of the movie there is people and granted i guess a lot of people would just like be okay with it because it deals with nazis because yeah. at this point i just want to clarify like 40 nazis jump out of the bushes at a certain point right. and it's just like yeah. Where'd these dudes in full uniform come from? Like, this is weird. Yeah. Dude, uh -huh. I, from, from, I'll tell you the exact point. I just remember the exact moment where I go, uh-oh. <laughs> like, as I'm watching, I go, uh-oh. This is where it starts to take a turn. Is um, whenever... When Cliff escapes... The, is it the CIA? Am I getting that right? Or is it the, the FBI? FBI? Okay, the FBI. I, I forgot. Whenever he is with Howard Hughes... And they're uh -huh. trying to get the jetpack back. Yeah. And he just like punches an FBI guy and just escapes. Yes. Yes. It was that point. It was literally the point where he, f which I thought the floating on the fake airplane thing was cool. Yeah. But yeah. it's like after that, though, you hear Howard Hughes go, well, he is going to fly again. And when I heard yeah. that line, I'm just like, oh, God, this is about to go bad. I, I and was, it was just I was wondering uh, that. So that line, I was wondering. What was Howard Hughes's plane that everyone was it like the Enola Gay or something? Everyone said it would never fly, and but because I think that was supposed to be a nod to that because he jumps on this. There's this plane suspended from the roof, and it's like I don't know what it's made out of, but it looks like it's made out of styrofoam, yeah, or, or plastic. And he jumps on it, and it's on like a track, and then it loses the track, and he flies off on the. He glides to safety, um, on this thing, and and he says, "Huh, the damn thing will fly," and. I was, and I think that was supposed to be a reference to that plane. Like yeah. it was the, um, yeah, yeah, it was the, um, uh, what was that plane? 
Um, somebody, I mean, somebody hopefully is listening to this and, um, and it's like, it's this, you dummy. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really helpful after the fact. Yeah. Joe. Come on. Think about it. You're killing the episode. <laughs> I'm looking it up. The, uh, the spruce goose, the spruce goose was the plane that everyone said wouldn't fly. Yeah. And he, it was giant and, and he made it, maybe I, I thought that's what that was kind of a reference to. Could be. Um, very well but, could be. But anyway, but yeah. But that yeah, that's that's your moment. Either whatever you go, that's your moment where you're like, eh. And yeah, and it's it's meant to. It's kind of a goofy little scene, and um, and you know we haven't mentioned Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes either that much, other than yeah, just, just in the intro. Terry yeah. O'Quinn's another one of those guys that I love. That just he's great. Yeah, that he's been in everything, and he's been fantastic in everything he's ever been in. Um, way back to the stepfather, which I think we mentioned for that was for me my first my first experience, Terry O'Quinn experience, mm-hmm. um, uh, which we talked about during the very first episode, I think, of our favorite horror movies, one of our really early ones. Yeah. Um, and he's amazing. He's, a, and he's only got like one or two scenes here. And, you know, he's just, he just comes in and owns it. So he's great. Um, but anyway, but no, yeah. he's, he's great. Not as good as Alan Arkin, but he's great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not as good as Alan <laughs> no, Arkin. Just, he, I mean, who is more, right? Um, yeah, I, dude. Yeah. He's, he's great. Um, that, that's a good point with the, with the, uh, the plane thing that, that might be true. There are several things like that where you get like these people. So someone plays, uh, oh my, I'm so annoyed right now that I just, for some reason forgot (laughs) the name and I'm turning into a real Joe right now. This, this is, is the IMDb edition of Medium Cool. Yeah, literally every, every like everything we're doing. Why can't I think yeah, of this dude? Super famous well, comedian. Oh, W.C. Uh, Fields. Jesus Christ. Okay. Anyway, okay. anyways, uh, so Bob Lehman. I don't know who that is, but Bob Lehman plays W.C. Fields in one scene. Where oh, wow. um, uh, did you not get that? I I don't remember it. No, maybe so, it did, and I just went when went over. It's it. whenever Timothy or when uh. Timothy Dalton's Neville Sinclair takes Jenny to the uh, nightclub and he excuses himself at one point uh, to deal with secret stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, Jenny's sitting with W.C. Fields and this guy looks like a terrible W.C. Fields, but he does, he does like the bank dick voice really well. Um, yeah. You know, like that kind of that W.C. Fields like uh, personality comedy voice that he has. Okay. And uh, but anyways, yeah. So he does that thing, and and that was cool. And there are like several little things like that throughout throughout the movie uh, that kind of tie into that. If you don't know who W. C. Fields was, one of just kind of the leading comedians of the '30s. I mean, he did yeah. stuff before and after that as well. But um, that was kind of a big a big point there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I, I I love all those things. Again, the nostalgia part of it, which is so weird to say because I don't even feel like. I personally really have that much nostalgia related to anything in here. Um, but I think it's also because it, it's so ridiculous. So this was, this was, it's important for people to also know this was a graphic novel uh, yeah. and it was created by Dave Stevens. And uh, it's funny because, oh shit, my camera just <laughs> fell over. It's fine. Anyways, I'm just going to hold it for a second. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so the original graphic novel, uh, Cliff Secord's girlfriend they call her Betty Page, yeah. actually, not it's Jenny Blake. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, the Dave Stevens created Jenny's character based on the character Betty Page uh, upon yeah. his real life friend, the 1950s pinup girl Betty Page. Uh, for those of you who know Betty Page, 
I just said Betty Page a lot. But uh, Betty Page would not allow her name to be used in the film, hence why uh, Jenny, it was changed to Jenny, which I I can't imagine Jennifer Connelly being named Betty Page in this. That would be such a weird thing. She's also, like, very young. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is what three years after Labyrinth or something? Four? Yeah, yeah, just three, three, maybe four. Because let's see, that was eighty-six. Well, this is ninety-one. So oh, okay, so it's been five. She was like sixteen in that, I think. She's like twenty-one yeah. now. She can barely yeah. drink. Right. Um. Anyways, so I, I just don't. Joe, you're just gonna have to deal with the fact that I, <laughs> that I don't have uh, a good yeah. video situation going on. <laughs> My wife, which if if you listen to this, love you. Um, she, she uses this tripod that we have for my phone. We use, she uses this tripod at work. So she took it today and I was like, yeah, that's fine. I don't need it. And then I forgot, wait, shit, I'm doing the episode. So I tell Joe, Hey, I made a makeshift little place for my phone to go. Hopefully it doesn't fall over and it just fell over. And now it's put up against a coffee mug right now. That's, that's my life. Anyways, the Rocketeer's great. Um, I'm looking for another thing to talk about. Do you have anything you want to bring up about you the know, Rocketeer? You no, know, I want to talk about the the screenwriters the, uh, for this. Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. Yeah, who did a lot of really fun garbage in the in the nineties. Um, they did the the short lived Flash TV series. They did Viper in the nineties, which was like the Knight Rider knockoff with using a Dodge Viper, which was like the cool car of the time. It, it's it's funny because you know they did all this stuff which is just i mean i you know i mean it was just junk i loved watching in the 90s yeah. i mean they it, also it, did the notable the five bloods from last year that's I like was, a really I, important yeah. i might have jumped too far ahead for you but go ahead yeah I, yeah well i was setting all that up i was gonna say you know they also made um a couple of trancers films they wrote uh, all of them uh, well they're credited anyway they wrote trancers starring uh, oh, who is that? Tim Thomerson and Helen Hunt in the very first one. <laughs> a bad, like, 80s sci-fi movie that turned into a... But I didn't even know Helen Hunt was in that. Um, and they made... Let's see. Oh, well, it looks like maybe they didn't direct them or write them. They just got the credits for the, creating the characters. But um, the... Boy, she was in the second one, too. Helen Hunt was in Trancers 2 in 1991. Medium Cool, IMDb edition. These are some bad, these, I mean, these are some bad um, movies that she did. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. What's the guy's name? I think it's Jack Death, I think is his name. Jack Death is Tim Thomerson's name in that movie. But anyway, they, but I digress. They, um, so they did a bunch of junk. The Sentinel is another um, 90s TV series they did. Yeah, and then like you said, then they did The Five Bloods, which was, you know, from last year. Uh, a Spike, the Spike Lee movie that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so these guys are kind of fun, you know, kind of fun purveyors of, you know, I don't want to call the five bloods trash because it's not, but I think the rest of those are kind of trashy, fun TV series that, that I loved back in the nineties. So uh, yeah. So a, a lot of um, uh, kudos to them for, for doing this. Um, I, I think this kind of fits into that, Over, however you say that word. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I will, um, yeah, that I'm glad you brought them up because I was going to bring up the Five Bloods thing. Uh, So I'm glad you did that. Uh, So this is, I mean, this is written by guys. uh, That is so weird to me, watching any of the movies or TV things that they did, and then they did the Five Bloods. 
How's that even yeah. a thing? I can't even figure that out. Yeah. Um. I dude. I'm just going back to that. I just. I. I don't know why this movie, The Rocketeer, is not still talked about to some extent. Does it excel yeah. above anything else that did these things better? No. No. Yeah. But Alan Arkin's yeah. in it, and yeah. <laughs> there are Nazis, and there are <laughs> mob people, and Dick Tracy villains. Yeah. This is this should be the greatest thing ever, and it's a comic book movie. They, I mean, people yeah. call it a superhero movie. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it kind of is. I mean, yeah. I, I get I get why. Like we talked about how it fits into yeah. that. I just want to say this about the superhero part of it, related to Cliff being like this superhero. Cliff and yeah. PV are lucky as fuck that the jetpack kept running into shit to stop, or that shit yeah. would be gone. Okay, right. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. If not, they keep trying to test this jetpack, and he's flying off. And yeah. then it hits something and stops, and they run over and turn it off. <laughs> They're so lucky that this happened. Yeah. But we can, I think we can both agree that every time Cliff, you know, flew with the jetpack as the Rocketeer, he would just be uh, on fire. Right. Like we know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he, he should have, like, burned his legs off every single time. Every did. time he should just yeah. be on fire. All, like, right. he should just turn into a shooting star. Um, I think that's very funny. God so, damn, I love so that. In, in, in not to digress too much, but in the Flash, the, that that '90s series, the I think the pilot episode, there's this whole bit about how the Flash can't keep Barry Allen can't keep his clothes on when he runs because the friction that's generated by his body against and and the air yeah. just like disintegrates his clothes. Why couldn't they have had a line of dialogue where he's like, "Hey, I have these flame retardant pants that you can wear." that'll keep you from dying (laughs) at the very least for the rest of your life. Every time you use this thing at the very least, it could be funny if every time, if if every time he, he uses the jetpack, his pants Mm -hmm. burn off. I think that'd be very funny. And then Howard Hughes at some (laughs) points, like, Hey, I have some flame retardant pants that were made with this thing. Yeah. It probably ruined the movie, but I think that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the, the angle of the, the backpack, <clears throat> the angle of the rocket pack. I was thinking know, that too. Off of his legs just barely saves you from. But it's like, nah, I, I don't buy that. But it's got to be like, dude, you got to have some special pants. Th- yeah, this. Is, how are you just not on fire? And then there's some <laughs> dude on a wire with flames coming out of the thing. How is his legs not on fire? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't understand how how the jetpack works. I still like the magic, movie. Man. Yeah. Again, this movie's not great. I just think it's so ridiculous and awesome. Uh, I'm so glad you made me rewatch this. I'll tell you what I thought <laughs> by the end of this. I thought what would make this movie better, okay? I thought if it were directed, this might be pretty extreme. I feel like if it were directed by Jean-Pierre Jeunet, the guy did Amelie, <laughs> because every, like, I, I thought of this whenever I saw the jetpack suit, uh-huh. when I see them pretty much interact all the time, especially when they're hiding in, in PV's house, when yeah. the goon's there. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then uh and then the C- there's uh 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 and then the Dick Tracy villain, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I just think did, I don't know, you don't have to have seen this, but did you ever see Micmax his movie from like I don't remember no. when it came out. Uh yeah, no. it, it is not a good movie in terms of writing or like any kind of narrative coherence. It's all about yeah. the spectacle. So uh, Jean-Pierre Genet's Mick Max is like, 
has this just beautiful look. Everything's shot and shot super stylistically. It's basically Green Street hooligans or or you know uh, uh, fistful of or, I mean uh, Yojimbo or or any of those movies where you're playing both sides, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, he basically gets in this motley crew with this motley crew of people who live in this like dump, like literally trash dump, and they've made they've taken all these little bits of trash and turn them into these little, like, really cool, like, knickknacks and stuff, which sounds like a very Jeanne thing. And, uh, like, there's a contortionist for some reason, and, like, an explosives guy. Like, it's just, like, these very character people. Like, they're not real people, you know? And, and he's introduced to the the uh, contortionist by uh, them saying, like, hey, could you get me something out of the fridge? And so, like, he walks over and he opens the fridge, and she's just staring at him. And she, like, gets out of the fridge because she's, like, all contorted in some really painful-looking way. It's a great movie. I think I own it. I can't remember now. Yeah. Uh, if I don't, I would. Uh, it's, it's great. Again, kind of like how we're talking about this. Like, there's a lot of things that really aren't very good. But, like, yeah. we just kind of like them. That That's Micmacs. But my point is, though, uh, Junet can get this very kind of nostalgic feel. But all of these parts that might be a little more lackluster or not as cool, the nightclub scene with that music, or yeah. maybe the end, the whole ending, or mm-hmm. anything, any other part you want to, even something like uh, whenever, when Cliff goes to the set, and he sees yeah. Sinclair, but he's going to see Jenny, and he knocks the, the set piece over. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- things like he that. He gets a guy stabbed. <laughs> he gets a guy stabbed. Um, I, I, I laugh sinisterly. Uh, anyways, uh, I, just, I think he would have made all of those things at the very at the very least, visually, like, so uh-huh. interesting. And now I want to see Jean-Pierre Junet's uh, Rocketeer remake. That's what I want to <laughs> see. Um, and I'm not one to champion remakes, but I, I that's yeah. the one I would watch because I feel like it'd be, like, so creative and wild, and all the planes would be just crazy-looking, and the jetpack yeah. would be so wild. Like, it would just be the greatest. <laughs> I, I would just love it. Anyways, Joe, you want to? Uh, I think I think if the, if you have anything else you specifically want to talk about, I think now's the time. We're going to go ahead and yeah. start wearing yeah, no, down no, a bit. So I want to make sure we hit all your points. So go ahead. Yeah, no, this this is just a solid, fun movie. Um, it's got a a great cast, and it's you know it, it's one if you've never seen it, go check it out. It's on Disney Plus. You you got to search it. Like they hide it. It's in the it's in the depths and the bowels of Disney Plus. But um, I I had to search it like four times the last couple of days, even when I didn't watch the whole thing. I, I kind of fell asleep watching it late last night. And then, you know, and I was like, well, I remember where I left off and I had to go back and I'm like, it's not even on my recently watched or whatever list. I'm like, I had to go back in and search it again. <clears throat> but um, it, it's just, it's just a fun movie. Um, it's a movie. If you have kids, you can watch it with them um, and, you know, have a good time. It, it's, you know, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a trifle, you know, it's, it's not, there's nothing heavy or earth shaking about it. Um, it, it's, it's almost a piece of, um, I don't want to call it like propaganda, but there's, and there's certainly, there's actually a propaganda video in the middle of it. That was kind of fun too. With so Howard great. Green, yeah. It is but, uh, so far from authentic to the thirties cartoons, but it's so right. fantastic. <laughs> yes. I love it just for what it is. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it for a long time, you know, go watch it anyway, because it's just because it's so fun. Revisit Um, this. Dude, the first thing I thought while we were while I was watching it, rather, was I got I want to watch this with my daughter. I'm curious what she would think of this. But there are some weird things. And I don't care. Like, this wouldn't bother me showing it to my daughter and anybody who has kids like uh, this isn't a big this isn't something that 
would stop you from doing this. But the WC field scene, the reason that he wants to sit down whenever Sinclair's about to leave is because the yeah. camera literally looks at Ginny's face and then goes down to her boobs. Right. And then yeah. this old, uh-huh. gross WC Fields is like, oh, I want to hang out with you. Tell me your whole life story. And yeah. uh, that's gross. Um, so there's a few, there are just like a few things like that that don't quite hold up to the times, I guess. Um, yeah. Some things like that. I've already brought up a few of them earlier. I mean, this is very much a movie from 1991, and I have a big, uh, a, a great deal of nostalgia for movies like this, you know? And, um, there's a uh, there is a bar here, Joe in Lafayette called the Spot, and um, I'm, this all comes back to not so much the Rocketeer specifically, but early '90s movies. And they just had uh, in, in the month of May they had these screenings, and this guy basically just brought his laptop, uh, brought his projector. He had just some projector he probably bought on Amazon or something. I don't know. And then he had this Bluetooth speaker. And he would just, they have this big white brick wall outside, and he would just shoot it, or he would just project it, rather, on this white wall, and you just sit yeah. around and watch a movie. And we just watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space, a movie I'd never seen from beginning to end, the 1988 movie. And uh-huh. prior to that, he'd shown, you know, Return of the Living Dead and American Movie, which is fantastic, great documentary. Absolutely. And so he shows these kind of weird movies. But this month, my whole point in bringing this up is this month, he's showing blockbusters. But old blockbusters, yeah, under the radar blockbusters. And as I was watching The Rocketeer, I kept thinking I would watch this in the back patio of the spot on a wall. Yeah, it's not quite as ridiculous as like you know, like Face Off or something, but yeah. like <laughs> like uh, which is probably the stuff that you know they're probably going to go for. But my point is, I feel like. I mean, even watching something like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, there is so much shit that did not age well with that. And I'm not just talking about the the special effects. Um, (laughs) It's also a funny story about Killer Clowns of Outer Space. Uh, The police officers are really terrible in that movie uh, and extremely abusive, which has a whole different connotation in our current climate. So uh, it's a very interesting movie to watch. Uh, I I encourage you to go see Killer Clowns from Outer Space if you haven't seen it in a long time. But The Rocketeer... Um, I think would fit into that really well. I was just about to go off on something, Joe, and then I let you finish because I didn't want to interrupt you, <laughs> even though I think I interrupted you anyways. Yeah. So I'm just going to let it go. Yeah, I think no, I think yeah, I no. can save people a, a rant. They get yeah. enough of those. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say about this movie. This is like a hard one to talk about too because I feel like the more the more that I talk about this movie, I feel like the more I would just be talking about. It'd be like a, a, a scene from SNL whenever Chris Farley would just talk to musicians yeah. and be like, remember when you did this thing? That was really yeah. cool. Uh, yeah. and, and like that's all it is because this movie's not really that great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not a great it's movie. Just it's like, just fun. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and it, it, it fits my criteria for fun. I mean, it, again, it's so ridiculous and so all over the place. I mean, I would pretty much describe this the same way I would something like a Dick Tracy or or any of those types of movies where, you know, there are so many problems uh, with them as films, but, man, they're just really great. And the cast in this movie was so surprising. I wish I could remember. I can't even think of a, a, a movie. The Rocketeer was always the movie I thought of with this one actor, and it's not even him. It's Billy Campbell. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> I thought it was this other dude the whole time for, like, 30 years. And yeah. I always thought this dude was so lame, which uh-huh. made me just never want to go revisit The Rocketeer. Yeah. So glad. Oh, I remember my rant now, just because we have a few more minutes. Here's the thing. 
I went into Disney Plus. I type in the rocket and the rocketeer oh. pops straight up. Okay. Yeah. I didn't have the same experience, but I'll tell you this completely, complete caveat here. What in the fuck is up with every streaming service except for Netflix? Why uh-huh. is it so hard to, all- to put shit that you watch up front or yeah. shit that you've searched a billion times up front like Netflix does? Or, you know, like I'm, I'm not sitting here being like a Netflix like chump here. Yeah. But Hulu is just the worst interface I've ever used. I think it's just yeah. the worst. So all th- this is we'll we'll make this film talk because these these streaming services also have film. <laughs> That's my tie-in. HBO Max is a bit better. It's just it's still not great. Disney Plus ha- it's very clear what they want to highlight. Star Wars, sure. Marvel, classic mm-hmm. Disney. Like those are kind of the four main things you have to search for almost anything else which again is fine uh, but like even Amazon Prime does a really good job at like letting you see the stuff that you've that you that you watch a lot of or suggesting certain things I mean man I've forgotten about movies until they suggested them to me and then I was yeah. able to kind of revisit those so Amazon Prime and you know uh, Netflix seal of approval for me. Those are great for as streaming services exclusively. They're great, but fuck most streaming services. I still yeah. use all of them, but the, mm-hmm. Oh my God, don't even get me started on Peacock. Oh man. Yeah, really? Do you have Peacock? I do. Yeah. Let me tell you guys this. Yeah. One, one more thing completely unrelated. Then I'm going to get out of here. WWE Network no longer exists, okay? If you're a wrestling fan, you can shut this off if you're only here for the movie, okay? (laughs) The Rocketeer's done. We're done with that movie now. I'm just going to say this real quick. If you're you're a wrestling fan and you had WWE Network, you should be livid. Mm -hmm. Peacock, NBC pays them $200 million, Joe. Mm -hmm. $200 million to get the network on there, which is more money than they ever made with subscriptions. Sure. They have them on Peacock. Now they take most of their backlog and they're screening it to censor it, which is the worst. I mean, the worst. Okay. I understand that there are some uncouth things that have happened in wrestling over the last 40 years. I mean, just abhorrent shit. There's racist shit. There's so much sexist shit. Uh, I mean, it was a misogynist business for a very, very, very long time. And some could argue to this day, but the, the women's divisions have really kind of been uh, ramped up, and, and they're not called divas anymore. They're superstars. I mean, they've come a long way from the brawl and panties matches of the 90s. Right. But here's the thing. Why hide this shit? This happened right. then. Just it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean we have to watch it and go, oh, it happened in the 90s. It's fine. Like, we can still criticize it. It's fine. Yeah. But you're yeah. losing historicity here. If you're just going to act like WWE has always been some PG bullshit, really upset about right. this. But what I'm, well, the real reason I brought up Peacock is you can't fucking find anything, Joe. I can't yeah. find anything I want to watch. Right. If you know specifically what you want to watch, you can search it. But if you're just like, I want to watch this one thing, I want to watch something that I haven't seen for a long time, and it's like, you're just gonna, you know, or I know this one match from this one. Sh- like, what year was that? Like, there's no way you're finding it. Yeah, you're going to be looking for a long time. I still miss the old network. Not the last version, but before they revamped it. 
Mm-hmm. It gave you dots on the timeline to show you where every match started and ended. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that was the, that was just the best. That helped me out so much. You could always tell when the Chris Benoit matches were because if he was yeah. taking on like Chris Jericho, it would just say Chris Jericho in singles action or something. Yeah. It's like okay, that's the Benoit match. I'm gonna watch that. Right. Anyways, it was just the best. All right, I'm done. That that's my that's right. my rant. I needed to get my streaming <laughs> rant out of the way. If you agree or disagree with us, get with it. here. Uh, having seen it and uh, you want to let us know why we're right or wrong hit us up on instagram facebook and twitter at medium cool pod you can also email us at medium at gmail.com also if you haven't seen it and you have disney plus uh, or other m- methods of watching the movie i'm sure it's everywhere to rent possibly actually i don't even know if that's true but i'm sure you can rent it somewhere the point is this go check out the rocketeer if you haven't seen it in like 25 years or more like me it's fantastic uh, as as Joe said, as like a fun movie, it's not a great movie. Yeah, the last twenty minutes or so is kind of a letdown for me. Uh, but it didn't ruin the whole movie. I and and I actually really like the very end, like the very very end that goes to credits. Right, like it's just that kind of action sequence in the middle. I found very boring. Um, but man, th- I mean, what other movie? This is just one of those movies, kind of like the twentieth century. As I was watching this, I was like, yeah. you have to watch this like the 20th century. Now, the 20th century is Canadian bonkers madness, okay? It is bananas as hell. And that movie is a whole different ball game. so I'm not trying to compare them. But watching it in the same way is interesting. Because after you watch the 20th century, it's like, okay, cool. So, uh, you know, this was in the movie, and this was in the movie, and this one. You can just, like, list off all this ridiculous shit. And it's like, how yeah. was all of this in one movie? And I feel like that's the Rocketeer. There's just so, like, you have the mafia and Nazis and, like, weird, like, aviation <laughs> superheroes and Howard uh-huh. Hughes and the FBI. Like, how do you fit yeah. all that into one movie? And I just think they do it great. Like, this this just, like, seeps nostalgia to me. And I think oh, yeah. it's great. I strongly encourage you to go check it out. Uh, but as I said, if you've seen it, let us know what you think. Joe, any, any fun little quips you want to leave us with? Oh, good God. <laughs> Let me I just say this. Kidding. Every week I pass it off to Joe. Every I week. Know. I must be getting old because I can't do this anymore. I'll, I gotta, I've got to double down on this and do something, have something good next week. I'm going to have to start thinking of them to just drop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out Joe right now. Yeah. <sighs> so Joe says this one really great quip at the end of one of our episodes. And I go, man, that was a great way to end this episode. And he goes, yeah, it's something I want to do every time. And right. I'm like, I'm going to set you up, Joe. Yeah. Every consecutive episode, I've set Joe up. And you know what his response was? Nothing. Ah, I got to think of something right off the top of my head. Like, Get it. with it, Joe. Anyways. I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better. He's about to be banned. All right. <laughs>
you know, uh, let us know which of the three films, 13 Assassins, Calvary, or uh, Thief, that you would like us to talk about next week, or, or two weeks from now, rather. Sorry, two weeks from now to be on the 15th, I believe. Um, it'll be the 15th because on the 8th, which is one week from the day that this episode drops, we will be talking about Jacques Demy's film, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, uh, with uh, Joe and I. Uh, which is planned. We might bring someone else in too. Who knows? I don't know. We might get wild. Just leave us alone. We'll figure it out. All right. Anyways, on that note, hey, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and good night. Good luck and take it easy. <laughs>